Hi, I'm Molly. And I'm Jamie, and this is our From the Pasture with Hired Hand podcast. As the owners of Hired Hand website software, we've been developing websites and creating internet marketing strategies for livestock breeders for the past 10 years. The majority of our customers are involved in the breeding of registered animals, such as Texas Longhorns, Highland Cattle, Horses, and White-tailed Deer, where the pedigrees are very important. The From the Pasture with Hired Hand podcast examines many of the differences in raising pedigreed livestock for maximum profit. Join us and learn what we're covering today. Today we're here with Joe Slotchek of Lazy J Longhorns in Greenleaf, Kansas. Joe has been breeding registered Texas Longhorns for 23 years. He's also the creator of the Joe Shoes, which we'll learn more about in a few minutes. Joe, welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me. Joe, tell us how you got started raising Texas Longhorns. Um, well, I got started raising Longhorns by uh, when I was four or five years old. I always watched every single Western that had Longhorns in it. I didn't care what the Western was about, any movie that had Longhorns at all. And uh, I always wanted Longhorns, and my parents thought they were wild and crazy and and uh, would never buy me any. So when I was 15 years old, I finally had enough of my own money to buy a, a little bull and a couple cows, and um, that was in 1996, so uh, I started off that way, and and it grew from that. It it grew just as a fun hobby, and, and then um, when later on, I was like, I think I could actually make a business at doing this, and when I stopped worrying about other normal jobs, I actually uh, just focused on my longhorns. It actually turned into a full-time business that I really enjoy. What drew you to the Longhorns? You said you liked them. Is there something in particular or somebody that had them? Uh, it was. I don't know. It was just, um, I guess what drew me most to them was just, I mean, they were it, they were something different. Well, you know, I grew up with, my dad always raised Black Angus, so there was no excitement because you knew it was a little black calf out there, you know, and it was mm-hmm. exciting to see the colors and, the different horn shapes and, you know, the big sears always were a fascination with me, even when I was little. Like, the bigger the horn, the more neat they were for me. So, Joe, tell us why longhorns are considered a unique breed, especially um, for your location in Kansas. Um, they're definitely unique because, I mean, everybody, all my neighbors raise cows with no horns or they're all, you know, Typically in my area, they're all black. Everybody raises black cows. So they're, uh, I'm sure most people laugh at me for raising longhorns, especially um, like our, most of our, the ground we own is all farmable. So it could be actually being torn up and raised for good cropland while I'm out here in Kansas raising longhorns on farm ground. So I know a lot of people think that's probably crazy, but um, it's definitely fun and, and the cows do so well on it that. Uh, we've done really well with it. So talk a little bit about how the when you say the cows do well on it. Um, like some people may not know, you know, that longhorns are bred for, you know, surviving harsh conditions and, and mm-hmm. you know, ease of birth and that sort of stuff. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, the um, uh, one big difference I noticed from, from raising Angus or uh, just a commercial breed to ours is they eat every single type of grass in the pasture. Um, you know, and like with my, uh, the fence line between me and my neighbors, we have, um, we had, when we first moved here, we had 
tons of brush. And now when you look at the property, mine looks like I took a brush hog out there and completely mowed off the brush. Well, his side is still blooming with brush on his half, and there's like a half circle that's completely gone that's on my side. So I love the, the browsability that the cattle have. Um, you know, and in the middle of calving season, I just look out the window and see the new babies born. I don't, I don't have to go out there every, every 30 minutes and check my, my heifers and have to pull calves. And, um, you know, we've only had one, we've only had one calf in 23 years that we've had to help. And it was with a heifer that the calf came backwards. So, um, that would happen in any breed. So one calf in 23 years is a pretty good percentage of not having to pull calves. For sure. So, what do you feel are some of the main differences in marketing registered livestock versus non-registered livestock? Um, yeah, I mean, marketing registered versus unregistered. Typically, your unregistered cattle, you know, 99% of the time are going to the rodeos, um, which don't pay a whole lot. They're going to, you know, your beef programs, which, you know, there's money to be made in the beef programs, but it's, it's definitely you're making uh you're making maybe a hundred dollars per you know animal you know in the hundreds um in the registered and I feel like it's that dream world type money where you can raise up a heifer and sell it for seventeen thousand or twenty five thousand or you know that's i guess I'm shooting for the moon when I'm raising cattle versus just just what someone else is getting at the sale barn is all the cattle are worth, so it's not as much not as much mm-hmm. fun for sure. Um, tell us about some of the marketing tactics that have worked for you. Um, so specifically, if you want to talk a little bit about like if you market your deer herd differently, or if you use okay. the same marketing tactics locally as you do, um, you know, across the nation, let us know a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. I would I would say the probably what's helped me the best on marketing is is uh too many people try to get such a top dollar for private treaty sales and you get these new people that are coming and everyone wants to sell them the bull that they haven't been able to sell for the last two years to this brand new person these brand new people typically don't even have never owned cattle before so now you're selling them a bull you're selling them cows you're selling them all this stuff you know and it's almost just too much for these people so what I started doing was selling them little steer calves. Um, you know, that's about the easiest thing you can possibly take care of. You don't have to worry about a bull breeding. You don't have to worry about that bull jumping in the fence and getting to the neighbor's pasture. It's, it's something to get people's feet wet in the business before they jump into the whole breeding and marketing and, uh, and, and all of that. So you mentioned steers. Um, you're known for your steer, steer herd. Tell us about how having steers plays into your overall marketing strategy and what it's done for your breeding program. I guess I, uh, I chose steers because not a lot of ranches are keeping trophy steers. So um, besides the fact that I absolutely, they're probably the favorite, my steers are my favorite animals of the whole, of the mm-hmm. whole breed anyway, but not a lot of ranches were, were raising them for their top, the top steers. So I saw that there was, you know, it's a supply and demand type of thing, and I thought not a lot of ranches are doing it, so I'm not going to have a lot of competition. You know, everyone's got bulls for sale. Everyone's got cows for sale, but not many people had steers for sale, and especially big herds of steers 
And, um, mm-hmm. you know, me and El Coyote are two of the biggest, the biggest ones. And I know, uh, like Todd Taylor has a big herd of steers too. And, um, we just started selling some of our bigger steers here and there. And, and honestly, I've made more money in the steer market than I've ever made in the bulls and cows probably together. So, um, it's a very small market, but, you know, everybody knows to come to me for a steer now. So, um, mm-hmm. works pretty good. Are there certain things so, that you look for in um, in bulls when they're young on whether or not you want to take them and turn them into your steer program? Okay. Um, yeah, when, well, when we evaluate the young bulls, this will be – I've got over 20 years of data measuring young bulls. So mm-hmm. when I go to start measuring some of these young bulls from month to month, we really – we have a hard – critical line that they have to meet if they don't meet this growth rate they automatically get put into the trophy steer program and then even the trophy steers they have to be in the top 10 percent of the trophy steers to ever make it into my trophy steer herd so okay. coaling is a huge part of why we have such good steers too okay. so for people that don't so for people that may not be familiar with longhorns or longhorn bulls and, you know, what it takes for them to make it as a herd sire versus a trophy steer, can you give just a little bit of insight into what some of those um, numbers are that you use as guidelines in your program? Yeah. Um, when we're measuring bulls, um, we we don't look at – too many people look at a bull and say, okay, he's 50 inches at 15 months. He must be a great bull. We don't care about 50 at 15. What we care about is what did he grow between 15 and 16 and 16 to 17? Because that's more important to us than what is his measurement right now? Because if he can grow three inches or three and a quarter inches a month consistently, then he's going to outgrow the bulls that have an early horn growth and quit growing. So we see that happen a lot in bulls where, you know, they're 40 at 12, but they're only 42 at at 13. So that doesn't make sense. They should be growing three and a half inches a month, not two inches. So we don't want bulls like that in our program. We want bulls that grow consistently. You said that steers are your favorite, like they're your favorite out of anything. Um, Why are they your favorite? And then also, is it hard to find buyers? Um, or I know you said that a lot of people come to you, um, like you're kind of mm-hmm. known for that now, but in the beginning, was it hard to find buyers or, um, do they pretty much sell themselves? Yeah. The, the bigger trophy steers have always seemed to sell themselves. Like I've never, other than bluegrass, I don't ever really remember sticking one out there for sale. Like I've never had advertised my steers for sale ever. It seems like somebody sees a picture and I mean, we get over a thousand people a year come to see the steer herd here. So somebody's seen a picture of somebody's that came here, or it's amazing the word of mouth. So I'm, I've always the upper steers have always marketed themselves. Like I've never, I've never had to do a whole lot for that. So that's what makes them really, makes them really unique. And um, and like I said, the market's very small for that. So it's not like everybody can start doing that, but. It is pretty neat that they market themselves with them with their horns. For those people that don't know who Bluegrass is, can you tell us why you referred to him? Yeah, um, Bluegrass was the steer that really put us 
on the map, not just in the United States, but like the entire world map. Um, he won the Guinness World Record at the age of eight, and then he also broke his own record at nine and ten. And then we sold him in the uh, Hudson Valentine sale in Fort Worth, and he sold for $48,000, which uh, which broke the all-time record. Uh, previous record was only $15,000 for a steer. So um, we've had people from London, Czechoslovakia, just all over the world come here and see him before he sold. So he uh, he definitely put us on the on the map. You know, his YouTube following was over – I think four million hits on YouTube. So um, he was he was definitely world famous, which really put the Lazy J name out there for the whole world too. Do you have anybody else that's following in his footsteps? Yep. Um, actually, bluegrass was kind of a benchmark for all of our steers. So the uh, the only way we have what we call an A herd and a B herd, and the only way you get into the A herd is you have to be growing faster than bluegrass at that certain age. So, and we don't keep steers, like if we have steers born in 2013, we don't keep a steer that's not as good as another steer in 2013. So by that culling process, my entire top 25 steers are all better than bluegrass at that age. So we got some pretty neat ones coming up. Love what you're hearing? Be sure to check out our pickup truck confessions. It's a video series where we hop in the truck or rental car and interview a variety of breeders about what drives their passion for their livestock, how they got started in the breed of their choice, marketing tips, and more. And now, back to the podcast. Um, so switching gears a little bit, Joe, what, um, let's talk a little bit about sales and marketing. So what advice do you have to give to other breeders or other people looking to get started and grow their business through private treaty sales? Um, the best thing I can say for for people to to make more private treaty sales is is when you make that sale or you're getting close to making a sale, it seems like nine out of ten times the person wants to buy until the delivery process. And so what I try to do is make that process easier for people. A lot of times it's me delivering, and if it's me delivering, you're never getting charged for delivery. So I would say. Try to deliver your own sold animals. If it's you showing up, delivering that animal to the person, and they don't have to find a hauler, they don't have to pay a big expense for the hauling bill, those people are going to be a lot happier, and they're going to come back and buy from you. So that would be that would be the greatest asset for private G. Is there anything that you do locally? Uh, locally, no. Um, I don't. Locally, honestly, we don't do a whole lot of advertising because you're kind of preaching to the choir of the Angus Association. So we don't really sell very much locally. All my business is outside of the state of Kansas. So that's why we, uh, we're on, I'm on the road a lot and um, always delivering somewhere. So that's why it's, we don't do too much within our little surrounding area. Mm -hmm. Is there something that works now that didn't work a few years ago? <clears throat> or something that did work a few years ago that doesn't work now? Um, what do you think? Well, um, I would say on semen sales, semen sales I feel like have completely changed. Um, selling conventional semen I feel like is almost 
impossible anymore with the heifer sex semen out there. So marketing our bulls now and selling heifer sex semen has been huge compared to semen sales a few years ago. It's like you, you spend all this money to get your bull collected and you barely sell any semen. I mean, that's, I feel like that would be a one marketing thing that I didn't feel like went very well. Um, selling semen is, I think, one of the hardest things to do. So, um, so we changed and sold heifer sex semen and like our 50 shades darker bowl, just based off color almost alone, we completely sold out of semen within about an eight month period. So that was been a, a good part for us. So Joe, you've had so much success in Longhorns that you actually created a product to fill a need. Um, tell us about the Joe shoot and how it got started. All right. Well, the Joe shoot got started because um, I had – I've used almost every single kind of shoot, longhorn shoot that was out there, and they're all good in their own ways. And for probably the first 12, 15 years, I used those products. And it was always like I would always change this. I would want to change this or this, you know, is what I kept telling myself. And and it wasn't until we really started pushing bigger trophy steers that the trophy steers just do not fit in those other brands of shoot. So as we started getting closer and closer to actually having a Guinness World Record, and that's something I had dreamed of since I was little and, uh, you know, even before having Longhorns. So when we got closer to that, I'm like, I have got to, got to get something safer for a big trophy steer. So I started drawing stuff out, and I worked with a local welder to build what was in my head, you know. And and um, first we were just going to modify something, and he came out, and he's like, let's just start from scratch and build exactly what you want. So we kept tinkering with it. We built something. I used it, and I kept changing stuff and changing stuff until we finally felt like I had something that was, you know, it was going to work in my mind. Well, I never planned on selling them. And then the more and more people that would come to the farm, they would come to the the uh, satellite horn showcase measurements here at the farm, and everybody wanted to shoot. And I thought, well, we could try to sell them, but we won't sell very many. And I think we sold, once we started selling, we sold 80 the first year. And then I believe we just broke 200, 200 shoots in like two and a half years. So we've sold way more shoots than I ever imagined. So, and, but people, people can use them. They're safer for you, but they're safer for the animal. I mean, that was the whole original idea was, I don't want to put a steer in here. That's the Guinness world world record and break his horn. So, and, uh, you know, our shoots have measured probably more of the longest horn cattle in the world than just about any other brand has ever done. So what advice do you have for breeders who are curious, as to if they're ready to invest in a Joe shoot? Um, when people call me about the Joe shoot, the first thing I ask is how many cattle do you have? Uh, okay. If they only have six or seven cows, I try to push them away from the Joe shoot and get into, I mean, the other brands are still decent shoots, and they're, they work for your budget. They work for, if you have seven cows, you shouldn't have to have the biggest, strongest shoot out there to handle those seven cows. Mm-hmm. So our shoot is definitely built for worst-case scenarios. I mean, it's made to hold an animal that does not want to be in that shoot, and it's going to be safe for you to still be there when this is happening. So, um, you know, I try to I try to match people 
with their herd size, their budget size, and sometimes that doesn't always align to me. And I'm on, I have a whole list of people that, that have shoots that, that want to upgrade to a Joe shoot. So I'm able to get rid of their old shoot, which allows them to get a Joe shoot. So it's okay. a circle of life for shoots. Is there anything else you want to comment on or share with our listeners um, that you feel they could benefit from? Well, um, something else that has uh, been a big positive that I'm surprised you girls did not ask about is my hired hand website. Um, I was building my own website for not very much a year, but I wasn't getting a lot of traffic. I wasn't linked to other people's websites. And when I finally made that plunge into getting a hired hand website, like I've never looked back. Being able to to have people search progeny across the whole industry, I think it's been huge. And I, it brings a lot of people to my site. And uh it's just been with me on the go as much as I am, it's been really easy to I can edit it, change it, do whatever I need to do for my cell phone. Sometimes while I'm driving. So works pretty good. <laughs> We're, we're glad you update your website, but we really yeah. wish you wouldn't do it while you're driving. <laughs> exactly. No, we you appreciate the kind words. If you want to learn more about Joe's breeding program or the Joe shoot, check out our show notes for his hired hand website address and the products mentioned. Are you a fan of our podcast? We'd love a positive review. Log into your Google account and leave us some stars. We'd also love to hear what you thought of today's episode. Tag us on social media or email Jamie and I at info at hiredhandsoftware.com.